This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. American Glutton Podcast has a Patreon. Do you hate commercials? Well, we've got a Patreon. Do you want bonus episodes? That's on the Patreon. Do you want to hang out and chat in our Discord channel? That's part of the Patreon, too. We even have an option where you can leave me voicemails. All on the Patreon. So check it out today. Patreon.com slash American Glutton. We have a Patreon. Hi. I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying this show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Trifecta takes all the food you need, cooks it, and ships it to your house. No more grocery stores, no more cooking, no more meal prep. All you have to do is open it and eat it. That's it. Once in a while, I get a little cocky and make my own sauce, but that's very rare. They make all of it for me, and they send it to my house, and they save me so much time, effort, energy, and money, I can't begin to tell you how happy I am to have them as a sponsor. My guest today is Nick Hardwick. He is a former professional football player. He now coaches men to lose weight at trainlikealignment.com. You can find Nick on Instagram at Nick Hardwick. Nick Hardwick, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Ethan, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. 
Dude, I'm so excited to talk to you about the Hardwick lifestyle and also lose like alignment. Like for like, I haven't heard that before. And then I was <laughs> and then I was like, fuck, I mean, I feel like I have a body type that's similar to alignment. What's lose like alignment? That's right. So lose like alignment. I played 11 years in the NFL and immediately I got put on injured reserve week one. It was my 11th season. I had a degenerating neck and it was, I had probably two or 300 stingers through the course of my career. And they didn't really know any long-term ramifications of it. And I just kept getting them during my last training camp. And I got one on Monday night football week one blocking a guy named Calais Campbell, which if you've familiar with the NFL, he looks like Xerxes. I mean, he's like six, <laughs> eight, six, eight, three, 20. And he's just arms everywhere. And he's mean and he plays pissed off. And He's awesome. He's an awesome player. And it's not like he was trying to hurt me or anything. My neck just, I, unfortunately I'm well, fortunately and unfortunately I'm six foot four, but I think I, I should only be six, two, but I have the neck of maybe a six, six guy. So it's like long and skinny <laughs> and it's out there playing the center position. Anyway, neck started breaking out, got put on injured reserve. And I knew from the minute I started gaining weight that when this whole ride was done, that I was going to lose it as fast as possible. And you would hear, coaches kind of reiterate to you when you're done, you either go one way or another, you either get up to 400 pounds or you're going to lose it all in a hurry. And I decided I'm, I'm going to let this weight go and not hold on to my old lineman past and the job that I had and, and really the necessity of having that body. And I lost 85 pounds in about five months. Wow. And it just seemed to, especially at the beginning, melt off of me. Right. And it was, you could imagine, like I was probably consuming on a daily basis, anywhere from six to 8,000 calories just to keep my weight up. I was lifting heavy and often six days a week training just to keep my size and some hypertrophy and keep that whole deal going. And when I stopped all that, I was like a candle and right. I got down to about, you know, you go from seven or 8,000 calories down to 2000 calories. There's quite the deficit that you're creating already. And, you know, you stop training the musculature, the way that keeps the size on and stop feeding the beast. And all of a sudden this I got down to, I, I got down to, and, and this was like a moment, this was a moment of clarity for me. I was in a yoga class and I weighed in afterwards and I stepped on the scale in the locker room and I weighed 202. Wow. And, <laughs> and I looked in the mirror from the front and I was, you know, six pack and I felt really lean and good. And I had that, uh, that hot yoga high that was going on. And I was like, looking at myself and I was like, man, three more pounds and I'm going to be 199 and then I'm done. And then I turned <laughs> and I looked at, I looked at myself, like my profile and I thought, man, if you walk out in these streets and there's any kind of riot going on, you're going to get your ass kicked. So you better, <laughs> you better start going, or you better go home and eat. So I never made it under 200. I probably should have just, just for the sake of it, but I never got under 200 and I never looked back and I, I ended up getting up to about 230 and I kind of toggle between like 225 and 240-ish now. Kind of, I, I like to use bumpers. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. I think I was 211, 210 pounds. And I just was like, a light breeze will knock me over. <laughs> this doesn't feel right. And I was so emaciated. And it just was like, it made me feel yucky. Yeah. How tall are you? 6'4". 
six one. I'm not as yeah. tall as you, but I, Still, you know, that's, I was that's very big. Yeah, it was. I, 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 and and I had a weird experience. Do you know Doctor Heizenga? He's a sports medicine. Wayne Heizenga. Wayne Heizenga. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like crushing myself to lose weight. And at about um, 250 pounds, I was like, I just have no idea what a goal is anymore. I'm 250 pounds. I'm doing six, seven, eight hours of cardio every day. Um, Yeah. And so I went in to see him. And the first thing he said to me was like, you got to lose a lot of weight. He looked at me and he goes, you got to lose a lot of weight. You got to get to like, I want you at 185. And I'm like crushed because I was hoping for 220. You're there. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're well, almost I, there. I was hoping for 220 and I was like, I could do 20 pounds. Um, and then he goes, we're going to do a DEXA scan on you. Runs the DEXA scan on me comes back, starts to look at my chart, goes, something's fucked up. We're doing it again. Does the, does the <laughs> Dexa like, scan. Right, this yeah, right. this doesn't make any dance. sense. Does the scan on me again and goes like, I, I don't know what to tell you. You're done. You don't need to lose weight. You're, you're like 12% body fat at 250 pounds and that's wow. okay. And I was like, I started off when he was like, you got to get to 185. I was defeated. When he said, you're done, I was defeated. And I was like, I'm going to show this fucking guy. I'm going to get to 220. And then I got to 220 and still didn't feel good. Like, it's so fucked how our minds can like mess with us with all of that. You know what I mean? I went to the doctor. The doctor told me I didn't need to lose weight. And yet I was like, I'm going to prove him wrong. I was going to prove him wrong. That either I way. Yeah. It, no matter what either way, said, either I way. was going to prove him wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the mind of a competitor, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what happens is I'm going to prove you wrong against all odds. You say I can't, so I'm going to do it. And you were just looking for a reason to keep going or, you know, to, to show some, you know, it's, we don't really know why we're, why we're fueled or why we're driven the way that we are, but, I remember being so competitive with the scale that every time I'd step on that scale and it would drop three pounds, I thought, let's go, you know, I'm winning. And then when it wasn't, and you know, you get in that. And then I also had a teammate who was doing the same thing at the same time as me. And by God, I wasn't going to let him lose more weight than I was. And he ended, he ended up doing a great job too. And he looks tremendous. And you know, he got to a really healthy spot and he's, he's doing physically very well still. And we're, gosh, we're seven, eight years removed from the game now and have held on to those losses, I guess. And it is, it's such a, uh, there's so much that goes into it, right? There's physically, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of effort that goes into it, but then there's also, I think what's really underrated in losing weight is shedding a former identity and finding kind of a new self underneath there finding who you really are underneath that false i I used to think it was like an orkin man suit you know the orkin man commercial who comes in or the (laughs) terminex guy or whatever that comes in in this big robotic suit and he's like all puffed up and ready to go it's like you know people look at you a certain way and people treat you a certain way when you're a certain size and you have to let be willing to let go of all of that and as a football player it was you know, you're not the big guy anymore. You're not the one who can walk into a room and command attention based on your size and strength and power. And you know what, you're not that impressive anymore as right. physically. However, you have to come to terms with the you, the deep down you and your soul is still very impressive and very valid 
no matter who you are or what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got, I, I got to imagine that it's so tricky for so many guys who, who, if they don't have a plan one way or the other, that kind of radical change can lead to disaster. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, and I think regardless of what kind of plan you got in place, like, all right, here, I'll give you my story. I played 11 years in the league. I was a walk-on. I never, never played high school football. Walked on my fourth semester at Purdue University. Played three years there. Really only played about 15 games. Got drafted with the third pick of the third round to the Chargers. That's started, crazy. I mean, were you just that crazy. good in college? I I mean, I just, I don't know. Like, I, when I, I got to college, I was 195 pounds. I hit a growth spurt. I hit puberty again in college. I grew two inches, put on 35 pounds, walked on at 230. And I was too slow to play linebacker. So they moved me to defensive tackle and said, you need to gain 50 or 60 pounds. So I did that. And then they moved me to guard because they had a void at guard. And then our center got hurt. So I moved to center eventually. And I was a really good center just because I was a wrestler in high school. And I kind of had that as part of my background. And I mean, then I get drafted. I go play 11 years in the NFL. And it was like a dream, you know, I mean, like an absolute dream. I got a retirement press conference. Philip Rivers cried at my press conference. All of my teammates showed up. The entire felt like the entire city was in our conference room. And two months later, I'm suicidal because I'm not with my friends. I have no identity. I've got no passion, no purpose, no corridor to help me make decisions. And I wasn't getting any dopamine or adrenaline release that I was used to from showing up every day, either banging heavyweights, being with a bunch of dudes and fighting on a consistent basis. And so I wasn't getting any of that and I was suicidal. And then eventually, you know, we kind of turned the corner on that and uh, got our life back together. And then kind of my, my passion and purpose has become really just helping other people and helping other athletes transition out and helping people lose weight in general and kind of reclaiming their health and life and just trying to do good because I, I saw the very, very bad side of what was an unbelievable life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a question when I think about like normal folk who like the difference between a professional athlete and like a guy who just wants to lose weight, maybe a guy stops playing football. He, he needs to lose a decent amount of weight versus your average Joe who wasn't, is it easier to get that guy, that athlete to, cause, cause I, cause I feel like they're, they're accustomed to getting into the gym. So that can't be foreign to them. Right. I think there's okay. There's two types of guys in the NFL. There's the guys who have to eat on Thursday, which is the weigh in day. So every team weighs in every single Thursday. And you get fined if you're overweight and you get fined if you're too far underweight. So some guys like me, I had to eat a ridiculous amount, didn't go to the bathroom all morning up until weigh-ins. And I would go have breakfast. I would stuff water down. And when I was even younger, I would put lead weight in my pants so I didn't get fined. My God. There were guys on Wednesday who showed up to practice in sauna suits and taped their wrists and ankles and had sweatpants over the top and were just sucking water out of them. And then they would show up on Thursday morning in the sauna at 4.30 and there was a whole crew of guys in there. 
And those were the guys that have the natural propensity to hold on to weight. Right. And you could kind of tell who was going to struggle post football and who was going to have an easier time getting it off. Yeah. And so they're still, yes, there are guys that like to work out and there are guys that didn't like to work out as much, but in general, they know what they're doing in a weight room. They know how to move around. They like being in there for the most part. I mean, not, not everybody did. You'd be surprised. Like there, <laughs> there was, there were some ridiculous football players who did not like to lift weights. Really like, ri- ridiculously good football players that did not like to lift weights. Yeah. I mean, you would be amazed. We had a cornerback who, when it was too cold, he would cramp because he didn't have enough body fat and he was jacked. He was jacked and he was shredded. He was, I know, not no exaggeration. He was probably 4% body fat, just doing nothing. That was coming every day with a giant bag of McDonald's and he didn't work out. We said he would pencil whip his workout. He would just walk around with a pencil and fill in all the things and talk to people for 15 minutes. And then he would get (laughs) out of there, but he had the best body you'd ever see. He had genetic. He just had genetics on his side. Just genetics, just genetics. Yeah. And he, so like, I imagine a guy like that gets out of it and doesn't even have to really think about it once he's done. <laughs> now, he started training after he got out and he is a monster now. I mean, yeah. he's an, he is absolutely just looks like a bodybuilder wow. because he put some time and effort into it and figured out what he was doing nutritionally. And he's, he looks amazing, but yeah. yes, the, the difference between kind of general population and an athlete there certainly the athlete understands discipline and has a pretty high level of will built in and has, has improved that, you know, time and time again. And, you know, when you're working with general population folks, I think the hardest, one of the hardest things is accepting failure is part of success. Yeah. And realizing that, you know, even a professional athlete fails every day, all the time, has huge setbacks, but just keeps going. And that's how you just keep ascending and keep ascending is you're not afraid of the failure. You and eventually you invite the failure because you're finding your weaknesses. And you've learned this in the weight room that I've got to get to failure to get to growth. Yeah. And I've got, I've got to get to failure to be able to push more weight. And I've got to get to fail. You know, it's like failure is a massive part of the learning process and growing process. And so the hardest part, I think, with general population people is when they have a bad day, that it doesn't turn into a bad week, doesn't turn into a month. And then all of a sudden, they're just like, I, you know what? I can't lose weight. It's not for me. This is this in the program or I can't do it in general. And yeah, I think that's such a great point because I think it also goes to like the people who haven't begun because they're avoiding failure. And, and, and it's almost this weird, um, catch mental kind of catch 22, because you're like, I would look at myself and go, well, I am already a failure failure. Why would I, why would I pursue improving myself just to fail there? Do do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So I'm going to avoid trying to avoid failing, even though I'm failing at what I'm doing. You know what I mean? It's like this weird (laughs) thing. Yeah, Yeah. it really is. Yeah. To to dig deeper into failure, potentially, like to to think that I can give everything I have and it still won't work. That can be crushing for people. Yeah. And so they they would rather avoid giving everything they have and it be 
very difficult or maybe that's not the right fit for them you know and there's there's so many reasons and that's i'm super mindful when people come into my program and when i work with them and talk to them that hey this may not be the right fit for you but let's not assume that you can't do this with somebody else or with a different program or a different coach even because right. maybe i don't speak the language that you need to be spoken to or maybe you know something about this just doesn't register and that's okay but it doesn't mean that you're a failure if you happen to not have success in my program yeah so i think i think the language you use is incredibly important with people and letting them know that failure is possible and it's also okay and uh, like to your point and this is a bit some of semantics but like it's also necessary in some aspects right like if we yes. don't have it then we haven't done enough and and that's not to say like i've failed at my goals but i have i do need to fail at a rep to know that i've done everything i can to increase the muscle mass you yes. know what i mean i do need to fail at a rep and that's right and that can be, you can have various ways to define that, right? There's some guys who end up with a bar stuck on their chest and they say that's failure. And for me, I'm like, I think you failed two reps ago. I think the minute, <laughs> probably the, the minute it didn't look good, that's failure in my book. You failed, right. you know? Right. But that's, I mean, think about that when it comes to like diet, nutrition, people go on business trips and they, they find out they've got a weakness on business trips because they come back and then they weigh in after the trip and they're like, oh my goodness, I put back on this amount of weight and I got to go on another trip. So, okay, maybe you're not yet equipped with the tools or the techniques on that trip or haven't thought creatively enough about how to navigate that process because there is a way around or through or over whatever obstacle is created. And we just, it's up to us to come up with, and this was kind of a football thing is, and I, I talked to a lot of my clients who are former football players is, it takes a long time to learn how to stop the bull rush. It's yeah. just a real, it's a real, you have to get strong enough to do it. You have to have the right technique to be able to do it. And you're gonna get beat on a certain move time and time again, until you continue to learn that didn't work. Okay, that didn't work, yep, right. Got it. And you have this Rolodex of information. So that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. Let me try this. But you don't quit trying because right. eventually there is a solution for you. And we just have to find the right technique. And with the right coaching, you can also more quickly come to those techniques. It's like, let's hop with two feet. Let's reset our hands. Let's, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done to stop a bull rush or a swim move or, you know, I'm getting beat on a run block. There's same thing applies to, winning a trip to Vegas for a bachelor party and not coming back and completely sabotaging yourself or, right. you know, having success on a business trip or, Hey, my family, this past summer, we were moving houses and we had to stay in a hotel for six weeks. Well, like I'm not going to get unhealthy in six weeks. I'm going to do, I'm going to figure out a way that we can have some semblance of health and do our best and stay successful in, in the health realm and stay on track and not use it as an excuse or a crutch, but just find a way to navigate that. Yeah. I think for me, for the, for the longest time, I, with, with food, I wanted it to be, I wanted to find something I could be abstinent from. Right. I wanted to go like, well, I know that if I don't do certain things, my life is better. So if I can just find the aspects of food to do that with, 
I know my life will be better. But what I didn't take into consideration there is all the other ancillary work that I was putting into my life on top of not just doing certain things. And so when it came to the fact that, you know, quitting carbohydrates or lectins or gluten or whatever the hot diet of the right. two, early 2000s was in Los Angeles, when that either stopped working or I would go away and find myself in an airport where it's like, there's nothing gluten-free here. And I'm starving and I'm going to a town where they don't do gluten free. You know, no, <laughs> yeah, they, they don't even talk about it there. They're yeah, not they aren't no, there yet. You know, Omaha, Nebraska is not talking about gluten yet. 15 years ago, they looked at you like you were insane <laughs> if you said something like that. And it might be more common now, but like and, and if you talked about like being low carb, it was really like you had a third arm growing out of your forehead or something <laughs> like the, that. That's the truth. And oh. so when, when I would have these setbacks, but I think it was almost intentional sabotage because like if, if I ever set up a program for my sobriety, which I, which is really paramount for me, if I ever set up a program where it was like, if any little thing goes out, my sobriety goes out the window. Mm. I, it's so fragile, but that's how my diet was for a long time. It was that's like, right. It was like I expected it to not be a lot of work. I expected it to be just like one little thing, one little change. That's what everyone hopes for, right? Yeah. Everyone's lo everyone's looking for that one pill or that one change, or you cut this out and everything's going to be all better. And it may be for a brief amount of time, but eventually, you know, it comes back around and your body's kind of craving some things and it's going to find a way to replace what you have tried to abstain from. Yeah. And it's awesome that you've gone through all of the, I've literally tried everything, like yeah. every, every diet you could imagine. And I think it's a really, I, I wish everybody would try it. Like I thought about at one point putting together a course of, Hey, do this, see how you feel for six weeks, do this, right. see how you feel for six weeks, because there's kind of that six weeks, two months period where I, I did vegan for two months. And that yeah. was probably seven years ago. And man, for two months, I felt great. And then after that, I felt terrible. And I, you know, I was honestly probably, I don't know, not doing it right, but I was trying to get my protein in. I was trying to balance it out, trying to blend amino acids and all those things. And I mean, maybe still there's a, a steep learning curve to doing that, or definitely did keto at, at one point along the line. I mean, I've done paleo, I mean, like everything you could possibly imagine. Then eventually you realize, and people like uh, Spencer Nadolsky and RP, I know you worked with RP and uh, Alan Aragon, who's amazing with flexible diet or Sue Kleiner, like all of these people, have, they've been telling us for ever, for as long as, as long as sports nutrition and performance nutrition, it's been a thing that it's just calories in calories out. Yeah. But I do feel like everybody has to almost come to that for themselves. Cause in, and you know, this, do you have kids? I yeah, four and a grandkid. Goodness, what? You have a grandkid? Yeah, she's six months old. I have four daughters and a granddaughter. Wow. How old are you? 46. You look amazing. Good job. Thank you, Thank you very yeah. much. Good job. That is super cool. Yeah. So, and you know, some kids will do exactly what you tell them and just trust that it's right. Yeah. Other kids, my youngest, I can tell him something until I am blue in the face and about to pass out. And he will not listen to me until he suffers or until right. he figures it out on his, on his own. And that's okay. But that's kind of 
when you're like, when I'm, I guess, started in this, like, come on, you guys, you people got to figure this out. It's like, well, they'll figure it out on their own. Right. Right. They'll come to, they'll come to it when they're ready or they'll figure it out on their own. And that's just kind of patience on the coach's part. It's like, Hey, keep trying, keep trying. Well, oh, you, you want to try keto? Go ahead try keto. But yeah. You know, how do you feel in your workouts? Yeah, I'm running low on energy. No kidding, huh? Right. <laughs> no kidding. That's weird. It's so odd. You got no glycogen. Um, yeah. My worry is, and look, I I totally agree with you. I think that um, there will be some small group of people that don't really need to track calories that once they right. start eating a certain way, stuff will fall into place and it'll just be like, oh. I needed to get off that kind of food, whatever it is, processed food, dense sugars, you know, crap like that. That'll work for some people. Uh, And I think that like there, uh, I didn't have this experience, so it's kind of hard for me to believe, but I got to say that I think there will probably be some people who eat a ketogenic diet, who it, it agrees with them. And they're like, I can get much further on fat than I can on sugar. And to those people, I say, great. Yes. But I think that there will also, the the problem with any of these things is like the super zealot adherents to keto are saying to everyone, no, you have a, you're eating too many carbs. You're having some kind of insulin dysfunction and you can only lose weight if you do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I think it will all work, but truthfully, it's going to come down to that you're eating less than you're burning. Whether yes. that means we have to track it or not, I have to track it because if I don't track it and, and it's very loose, I'm not. Like, do you still? Yeah, hard. I was going to say, do you still track hardcore? No, I'm now yeah. at the point where I'm eyeballing stuff, you know, yeah. and, you and know. but it's a version of tracking, right? I mm-hmm. did. I was hardcore. So I like I really followed it closely. And then I was like, I know what a serving of chicken looks like. I'm peeling the skin off it. If, you know, I'm usually making it for myself and it doesn't have skin, but if it's got skin on it, I'm peeling that off. And I want to eat the chicken skin, but I know that that's, you know, 25 to 50 calories I don't need. You don't Um, need them, right? Yeah. That's that's the whole thing. It's like, well, why don't you do that? It's like, well, because I'm choosing, I want my calories to come from something different. Right. Like, I don't put any labels on anything. It's like, oh, that's good. That's bad. It's like, I don't want this skin. I want yeah. to get my calories from something that's more meaningful to me than chicken skin. Exactly. A quarter cup of rice versus the chicken skin will get me further in the gym. That's it. That's the that's, whole thing. <laughs> that, and that's what I think is missed so often when you have people who go, you should be doing this. It's like, right. how do you know what I'm doing on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah. What are you, do you know my goals? Do you know my daily routine? Do you know what what I'm striving for here, because if you don't, how can you prescribe a diet to me? Yeah. You know, because I I get it. Like you get maybe older people that aren't banging, aren't getting their heart rate above 80%, aren't burning sugar on a daily basis. I get it. Yeah. I mean, you can come down, but still your brain's going to pull from the body one way or another. Yeah. It's it's going to find sugar. Gluconeogenesis. hundred percent. The brain wants sugar. It's going to find it. Yeah. It's going to turn fat into sugar if it has to. It's not, it's not the easiest thing to do, but it can do it. Yeah. Um, it'll do muscle. It'll pull it from the liver and pull it from the kidneys. I mean, yeah. eventually it's going to get sugar. Yeah. My concern, which is, I completely forgot, is we kind of. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Had that we ha- we're having this uh, evolution of people getting larger and larger and larger. Every year we're larger. And there was a big jump because of... COVID and people stayed home where it, it was like a spike in obesity. As they're saying, like the the biggest um, risk factor to having a bad outcome with COVID is obesity. A, a lot more people gained a lot more weight because they were at sure. home. Makes they sense. They were at home. Yeah. It, yes. Access. Yeah. But as Access. we as we see that these kind of fad diets aren't working and the access to food is is ever easier and we're also at the same time kind of normalizing well you shouldn't have to work hard you shouldn't have to work hard at a diet and it and it and and like there's a part of me which i totally agree like anybody should do whatever they want to do like i'm not saying everybody has to be lean but i think when society uh, as a whole makes a moral shift to Let's normalize this thing because it's hard for people to get it under control. That to me, I go like, I don't know if that society is going to be around very long. That's not what. Yeah. And is that the society that we want? Right. Yeah. To me, to me, it's not. And because it's hard to hear, it's hard to say, right. It's hard. It's hard to hear obesity. It's hard to say obesity. It's hard to say, Hey, you know, I know it's going to be difficult, but we should probably get to work on this. It's, We have, I mean, as far as people, we don't do a great job with our health of holding each other accountable. My wife and I were having this conversation today. My oldest is a fifth grader and he's in a fifth and a sixth grade school. And I think there's 1500 kids in fifth and sixth grade in one school. They only have a playground that's suitable for 150 children at a time. Wow. So, and they only get gym class. Once every, I think it's like 27 weeks, something like that. So 
20 one, in, once every 27 they, weeks so they go in nine week blocks so he did art for nine weeks he did music for nine weeks oh, and I then they'll you. go they'll go gym for nine weeks right and i'm like gym is paramount to our not only our physical development but our mental development as well so as a society we're putting less emphasis on the physicality of it all when we should be putting more emphasis on it because better in shape kids are smarter they yeah. get better tests they get better test scores there's plenty of science to support that that we should be focusing on keeping these kids physically active and capable and you know like the things that i worry about with my kids the, the most important thing that i worry about is their work capacity do they have physical endurance to be able to continue to work because as you know it's in a lot of businesses the last man standing is the one who kind of takes the prize. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily like this big victorious moment, but it's like, he's still here and he's I, still showing up and he's still willing to work. Yeah. A hundred percent. And especially in a day and time where kids, you know, like even the, I only have girls, so it's kind of harder for me to like wrap my head around if this is just my experience or this is just normal. But when I was a kid, after school, we didn't go home. We we right. messed around in parks and we took our time. We took hours to get home. We had to be home by sundown, right? Which often was hours and hours later after school. School gets That's right. three. You could sometimes be go have five hours to yourself before you have to get home. My kids never once did that. Not one time. Not not one of my kids ever did that. And when I've asked other parents, I'm like, do your kids? walk themselves home from school no absolutely not that's not really a thing and if they do they got to get right home they're not right so kid from this is anecdotal but i believe it could be proved there's there's uh, a lot less activity so if there if there's a lot less activity and there's a lot less gym that's utterly wild in my opinion yeah yeah it's there is a a scared mindset Right. Like if you do walk home, you got to get home. So I know you're safe and everything's fine and we don't have to worry about that. And that's we have so much access to media and stories. And this kid got, you know, kidnapped or whatever happened. So there is a little bit of that. But there's also you can be punished right. as a parent. You can be punished. You can be chastised. Right. Uh, there's a lady who does free range parenting. Her name is Lenore Skenazy. And she wrote, I think, for the New York Times for a very long time. And the biggest story she ever published was about her own child who at nine years old asked to be dropped off at, I think it was Bloomingdale, Bloomingdale's in downtown Manhattan and at nine, and he wanted to be dropped off somewhere that he didn't know exactly where he was and then catch the subway home. And it was like a 40 minute ride home. And they said, sure, we'll do this. And they practiced a little bit and they made sure that he knew how to read everything and how to be where he was going. And he made it home. And she wrote a story about that. And then it went viral and she was on the Today Show and she was on all the all the different shows. And eventually the tone became, how could you be so irresponsible as a mother to let your child explore New York City without you? Right. And that's, you know, free range parenting. You They had to coin it that way. There was like a family in Baltimore whose kids were walking to the park, which was a mile away from their home. And they were they kept walking there. Well, they got picked up by the cops and came home and the parents got 
punished a little bit. I think the child protective services called or whatever. And then they said, you can't do that. And then they did it again. And they got what age are kids allowed to go off on their own? (laughs) Like, because I was, I, I was, nine i was i would I w- you know on Easy. saturday you walk out your front door and say see you mom and get on your bike and go to your buddy's house old. and you're yeah. all over the all over the yeah 100 percent. that's exactly how we grew up that's all over the neighborhood i mean summer times you weren't ever inside you're no. just gone gone for the day and you'd stop back in for a bite to eat and then you go back out again right you're drinking out of a hose you're drinking out of a hose at a neighbor's house that you don't know you're getting yelled at for (laughs) messing with somebody's hose yeah that's that's wild um hose water is pretty good though isn't it hose water is great i wouldn't do it now because i don't trust (laughs) hose water anymore i need see what happens yeah that's what i mean like we're not moving as much i wouldn't you know i my 15 year old daughter gets on a bike and i'm like Check it with me every 10 minutes. I want to know where you are. She's 15. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair, though. I don't have daughters. Gosh, I wish I did. I wish I had one daughter because it's it seems to me like I would. I You obviously get to accept a different role. Yeah. Or you get you get given a different role. So my wife gets to be the lover and, you know, give the comforter and compassionate for the boys well i have to show them what a man is and just right. dis- and i'm in charge of discipline and you know like and it gets exhausting girls yes yes and it gets exhausting for me and i'm sure it does for them too but yeah hey, like i tell them i'm you're not breaking my will right you're I, there are, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things and i'm sorry i i'm holding you accountable yeah all the yeah. time with girls, mom can be disciplinary and I can just be the loving one. Yeah. Come, come on over here. It's okay. It's baby. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And check in with me. If you go on a bike ride. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Please. Cause I'm worried about you. Meanwhile, she's got like a driver's permit. She's going to be driving any day now. And like, you know, I still have that, those thoughts. And, and when I was a kid, I, you know, eight years old, nine years old, I was, I was gone man you couldn't keep me in my house yep yeah and what different world we live right. in a different world where'd you grow up los angeles in the valley oh, you did. So, yeah. yeah but and, still and it, went, it was still different totally it was totally still different, different and probably a lot different than it is now i and you know the thing i think about is like the difference was it was actually worse back then and so I think there were higher rates of like kids getting messed with and, and, and all of the, you know, kids on milk cartons and stuff like that. That was big. Yeah, that's probably true. And now, and we got very paranoid and we started reining in our kids. And so that settled down, but we didn't, you know, it's like TSA and taking your shoes off. Like one guy had something in his shoes and now we're all having to take our shoes off every time we get it. It's like at some point, it's like the threat of a shoe bomb has gone down. We don't need to do this anymore. You know? No, but you can't have a beer bottle opener on the bottom of your sandals. Right. Exactly. So, Jesus, it's so maybe, maybe that's what set the alarm off in the first place. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. I think there's all these unintended consequences. And so when we go like, you know, um, diets largely don't work. I say, yeah, it's true. They don't largely work because people are doing bullshit diets. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they're doing BS diets or they're not doing it. Right. 
you know, like the, the self-reporting is off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's a, a really interesting thought that I've had recently because I'm coaching high school football here in our hometown and it's a huge program. We've got like 185 kids and for two straight years, they were back-to-back state runners up. So it's like a big legit program. And I haven't been around offensive linemen in years since I, since I was done, I didn't get into coaching and now I'm finally back into it. I was coaching my kids and I'm still coaching their teams and then I'm coaching the high school offensive line. And it's been wonderful for me, just like being back kind of feeling like with my people. The interesting thing though, is like, I went for a long time without banging heavy weights and smashing food and like trying to put size on. But now that I'm with the offensive line, I I'm in a group of bigger guys that value more size and strength and power and all those things. So here I am finding myself like benching and deadlifting and doing things that there's no way I would have pushed this kind of weight even a year ago. But the the thought to me kind of came is it's normalized behavior. Yeah. And so wherever you're trying to get to, whether it's trying to get smaller, trying to get in better shape or trying to be more successful in this realm or whatever you're trying to get to, you have to get with a group of people who has the, the, has normalized the behavior and the habits that you're striving to achieve. And that was just a super moment of, Oh, now I kind of do see why people struggle because you know, one, their food environment at home is probably not great. So like you talk, just being around food all the time during COVID was detrimental to a lot of people's weight, just having access. I mean, the number one thing for addiction is don't have access. Well, if you're a food person, a food addict, standing next to the pantry and answering emails and just being able to walk into the fridge at any moment or, Hey, I'm bored. I got a stressful meeting. I got off the phone with the boss. You know, I was doing a sales call, whatever. Now I'm going to go and immediately go to dig into the fridge. Like that food environment's really important, but also the the people environment that you're with is also super important. You know, like find the gym with the type of people that you want to be with. I am at, I train at a gym now that's all bodybuilders and big lifters. And it's like, well, no kidding. I'm going to lift heavier weights because everyone's lifting heavier weights. And that's what we do here. You know, in the offensive line, we do this. We, we go out and we smash Mexican food and, you know, that's, that's normalized behavior. So, you know, when it comes to working with clients, it was a great moment for me to go, you know, some of that is very challenging for people to be an outlier within their own group. You know, if you're, say you're a businessman or a woman, you're traveling or you're taking a client out to dinner, everyone expects this is the behavior that we have on client dinners. Yeah. And this is the food that we eat. And this is the wine that we drink. And we do, we get gluttonous. And, you know, this is because it's on the company dime. So let's do it. Everyone's got that same mindset. Well, it's hard to be the person sitting there that says, I'm going to have a water with a soda water with a lime and I'm going to have, it's, it's very difficult to do. It doesn't mean that it's impossible though. Yeah. To to be that outlier within that normalized behavior. It's tough. It's such a great point. And, and I think like, I've only looked at studies where they've had a negative connotation, right? The things that we, we kind of want to get away from 
and it shows that they're all contagious. It's all yes. contagious. You can you can develop some of this stuff. You can have never experienced it before. Start hanging out with a group of people, go into it going like, yeah, that's not for me, but I like these guys and you can catch it. You know, that's just the way that works. And we're talking about obesity, addiction, all that stuff can be contagious. I don't see why the good stuff also can't be contagious. You know what it I mean? Is. You go yeah. around, you go like, here's what I want. And you know, like I, 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 I talk about like um, sober bartenders, like because <laughs> for, the, for the longest time, I when I started um, dieting, I would go on such a severe diet and I would get obsessed with cooking food for other people. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and it would always, always, you know, not maybe that day, but lead to my diet failing because I'd I'd have to taste it and then I'm spitting it out and then I'm spitting out part of it and then I'm going like, well, what's one bite? And then I'm, and then I'm like sitting down to the meal. Right. And like, you want to get sober. The last thing you should pursue is like being a mixologist, right? It just seems <laughs> so fucking that's, obvious. That's, you're you know? swimming upstream. Yeah, right. You're, exactly. You're, you're constantly making this more. Yes. yes. Go be around people who like, you have this idea. Here's what I want for my life. Great. Go be around people who are doing that. You'll be more likely to get it. And that's not to say like, you know, you got to turn your back on your family who all might be boozing it up every night or, or eating pizzas. But I know for me, when I got sober, the people in my life that still drink for a while, stopped drinking around me. And when I went on diets, awesome. yeah, the people that, um, eat whatever they want. They stopped doing that around me too, because I had conversations with them. And I said like, look, I love you. I'm struggling with this. Uh, is it possible that for a period of time, we don't have Domino's pizza in the house because when Domino's pizza shows up, it's really hard for me to not <laughs> eat it. And it's, you'd be surprised how many yeah. people who love you would go like, I get it. Yeah. I'm not going to have Domino's pizza. And then you create a group of like-minded people, you know? I think that's where a lot of people miss is yeah. the, the failure to communicate. It, it really is at the beginning. I, hey, I am trying to live a longer life. I am trying to be a healthier husband, better dad. I want to be a better friend. Like I want to be here to experience more of what we do and be with each other for a lot longer. I'm asking you to help me. Yeah. And when you find true friends, they're willing to help. They will get on board. They will do it with you because they're real friends. Yeah. They want, they're like, oh crap. And they don't even know. They don't even know that what they're doing. They like Domino's pizzas here. Ethan smashes the whole pizza. It's like, well, this is just what we do. Right. And it's just like, we're in the groove and it's not malicious on their part. Hey, we're going to order Domino's because screw Ethan. It's, it's not that it's just they haven't, everyone's in their own, everyone's in their own life, in their own head, and they're enjoying your company, but they don't realize how that's affecting you. And yeah. so I think what happens a lot is with that failure to communicate, there's resentment on both sides where you don't, if you're the one that's trying to do whatever, and you don't communicate what you're trying to do, then you're leaving these people out and you're cutting them off and you're not answering calls or you're weird to be around because you haven't communicated what your goal is. And then on the other side, they're like, she's changed. He's yeah. changed. Like something, yeah. what's going on? What's going on? It's just, I don't know what's happening. And then there's a resentment built up 
but it's just all of that can be broken down if and i like to describe it to my people as like invite them to be on your team right just invite them on your team and and ask them for help hey i'm doing this i would appreciate it if when we got together if either i could bring my own and you wouldn't mind or if we could change up just a little bit right you know we could maybe have some healthier options or we could instead of going out to dinner all the time, maybe we could go play pickleball or maybe we could, you know, like, can we just go for a walk? You yeah. know, can we normal, can we normalize going for a walk or want to go get a workout together? That'd be cool too. Right. Cause then, then we're both getting intoxicated and we're around each other. We're talking. It's great. Right. It's amazing. We can have all, the exact same experience doing something that is on my plan. Yes. Yeah. And it'll help us help us both out. But I think you, I guess, fell into it kind of naturally as, Hey, would you mind for a little while? And, and well, no, but it, it took me a while to f- actually figure that out because, again, for 15 ish years, I wanted it to be carbohydrates or uh, I wanted it to be my blood type, right? I'm just eating the wrong foods for my blood type. If I simply eat the right foods for my blood type, I don't have to think about anything else. And unfortunately, none of that is true. It just isn't true. You know? It's not. There's so so magic isn't real. No. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> want it if I can just eat from like you know four p.m. to eight p.m. every night. I can eat chocolate cake and In and Out and animal fries and get myself sick with food, and I'm still gonna lose weight. And and then it's. Yeah, like, because you're you only spike your insulin the one time, and that's right. what really matters. Why am I the only person that this isn't working for? Everybody says this is working, and yet it's not working for me. I'm broken. I'm wrong. You know, it took me a long time to go to my wife and say, like, hey, you know, I understand that you're eating diet ice cream. We like enlightened diet ice cream, but yeah. even when I'm when I'm cutting, if I'm being really strict, that'll screw up my day. And she's like. And she'll, you know, go like, no, we're going to, you know, lay in bed. I'm going to eat this diet ice cream. And then I'm eating half of it. And then I'm going and getting <laughs> let, me get, let me get a little bit of that. Yeah. And meanwhile, if it's just in the freezer, I'm not even really thinking about it. So I have to say to her, like, hey, I'm I'm sorry to inconvenience you at all. But give me a week where there's no enlightenment <laughs> in front of me. You can eat all you want. Just don't do it in front of me. Yeah. Do you mind going out to the garage and eating that ice cream? Right. <laughs> just Come on. I'm in bed and you bring Please. your bed. Like, don't just don't drag it in here. Yeah. Oh, that's when I, my wife and I first moved in together. She was a soccer player at Purdue and I was a football player, but she had to finish school. And then when she finally moved out to San Diego and was in the same house with me and lived with me on a daily basis, she gained, it was almost instantaneous, 25 pounds. Yeah. And she finally realized, she goes, I can't eat every time that you eat because it would be, it was every three hours. I mean, I was on that every three hour deal, but in, a, in not necessarily in the bodybuilding sense, but in kind of the, Hey, let's go to, Rigoberto's and and get their Diablo shrimp burrito. And then after that, then we're going to think about dinner. And then, you know, we'll be thinking about dessert already while we're eating dinner. And then, you know, what's for breakfast tomorrow? You want to go out to eat? Yeah, I'd love to go out to eat. Of course, who doesn't want to go out for breakfast? That's fun. Like, we're just, (laughs) and she's, she's like, this doesn't work. Why can you just go by yourself to go get a burrito and you go eat over there and I'll stay here, maybe go for a walk or something like that? Yeah. You know, once she had that realization, because I couldn't stop eating at that point. 
did unfortunately and then that's she the had thing. to like it you can't you can't just assume that we're gonna that we're gonna just naturally exist that way there's so much food around us at all times and there's mm. gonna be the desire to eat you know and like who wants to go sit down with somebody else and just watch them it's it makes <laughs> me uncomfortable on many levels like i feel like why am I taking up space in this restaurant? My buddy, I'm not joining in on this thing of eating. It's awful. It is. Here, this is a, a thing that I thought about as, as you were talking about when I'm cutting or when I was losing, I like to make food for other people. And that I that is, I think, very common. I did that. I was a wrestler in high school and I cut my senior year. I cut from 218 down to 170. So I lost 40 pounds my senior year. And I obviously couldn't eat wow. anything doing all that because I was pretty lean to start with. I mean, I, I looked disgusting. I mean, I yeah. was gaunt and bags under my eyes and teachers were worried about me. My clothes were falling off and, and just looked awful. But the one thing I love to do, I loved watching Emerald Lagasse. Yes. Cooking shows, right? I love watching the cooking best. shows. And then, and then I would make food for my family, but I wouldn't eat any of it. I would just look at it. And I would just, I would, it would like comfort me in some strange way. But I, I do think, and I don't think this is uncommon because I see this is when a parent is finally taking charge of their health, that they give the excess, you know, they, they take that baking out on their kids yeah. and they let their kid have everything that they can't have because in some weird way, it satisfies their craving for the food, at least temporarily, totally. at least some, at least somebody's getting it. You know, if it's not me, at least it's somebody. There's that connection with it. You're like, if, if I, yeah, I, I, I totally know what you mean. I, I dude, I, I took my family to Europe to just go eat at places that Anthony Bourdain had on his show. You know what I mean? And, and best I was even eating best show ever, but I was like, ever. we're going to St. John's in London. We're going to see Dante, the butcher in Chianti. We're going to San Sebastian, Spain, and I'm going to watch you guys eat. Okay, get ready. I want to watch you. I watched just him eat it on TV. Now I'm going to watch you eat it in real life. You know? Did they talk local politics and let you just sit in on it? It was. I mean, it was awesome. I'm glad I did all those things. But I wish I'd tried some of the stuff. You know what I mean? Like I had some meat here and there, but like I I was at a dinner once with Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, and Roberto Benigni in rome and roberto benini's like telling me this is the best pasta in my country and i'm like i understand i i don't eat pasta and and he's like deeply <laughs> deeply offended he's like you must eat one piece and i'm like no dude i'm not oh, gonna no. do it and now i'm like i'm a fucking moron i should have eaten a piece of the pasta you know what i mean like it wouldn't have been the end of the world hey that's a pretty intense willpower though yeah really I mean, yeah. you got to pat yourself on the back for being able to turn down Roberto Benini. Well, but Roberto Benini was Johnny Stacchini, right? In one of his one of the movies, Johnny yes. Stacchini. Yes, yeah. Johnny Stacchini. Yeah. I Stichini. love you. Yeah, this is beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's amazing. I, you know, I had willpower in those instances, but that was still back where when I finally started started to realize that just not eating pasta, I wasn't going to lose all the weight I needed to lose. The wheels utterly fell off. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, oh, yeah, I would go like, I, I'm not going to eat carbs and I'd have like some weight loss. 
And when the weight loss stalled, and then even when I'd start to gain weight, because like you can gain weight eating meat and cheese, it's possible. That's right. <laughs> Olive oil, you know? Yeah, like, that's I'll right. Tell you right yeah. now. Gunk, 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 gunk. Yeah, yeah there's, exactly. There's 1,200 calories that you just dumped on a salad. Yeah, yeah. My my, uh, I would I was so careful that I kept my broccoli intake to no more than 35 grams of carbs a day but it would be swimming in butter and oil. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like I, I lose some water weight and then I'm starting to gain weight again. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. If I'm just going right. to gain weight, I might as well really gain weight. And so it was this weird thing where it was like, I wish I'd, I wish I'd had that epiphany at dinner with Roberto Benini and gone, you know what? Let's get a pizza after this. You know what I mean? Come Let's on, eat yeah. all of it and then go for a pizza. Yeah. We'll deal with the after effects here in a couple of days. Right. Exactly. Yeah, be fine. But Hey, look at you. Yeah. You know? we, I feel yeah. we figured it out. We feel like as to your point, you know, people will eventually figure it out, but that's the thing you talked about. People will eventually figure it out. And, and I eventually figured it out. You figured it out. I know a bunch of people who have figured it out. But as uh, societally, um, the average, the, the size average moves up as the, um, you know, I, I think people should be accepted. I, I think like this whole thing of like accepting people. Yeah, people should be nice to people. I don't I don't want that. Yes. But when you have medical doctors who are advocating that. Like, even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Weight loss isn't uh, a metric for health. I, I just go like, this is this is scientifically well, Yes, it is. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. Right. Exactly. But yes, yes. And yeah, we can separate those two. We don't yeah. have to have... One doesn't mean bad person. It just right. means has trouble with food. Yeah. That, that's or and a lot of times, like I and I really deeply believe this is food, drugs, alcohol are kind of the 
sometimes it's chicken or it's chicken or the egg, right? Like sometimes it's, yes, that drives poor decisions, poor sleep, poor habits, all those things. But a lot of times people striving intensely for success are working themselves to the bones or stressing themselves out widely or not sleeping and are exhausted on a daily basis and their brain's tired and it's just searching for survival. And I'll tell you like this, high school football coaching at this program is super intense. Like there's days where I'll get four or five hours of sleep. And this is the first time in a long time that I've experienced this. Like I've viscerally felt this is I don't want to eat a salad. It's, it's actually felt like too much work to chomp through romaine lettuce at this meal that I don't want that. I want something that more easily dissolves in my mouth and just goes away and gives me energy and yeah. I don't have to worry about, you know, the crunching through broccoli or asparagus or kale or all those things that are, they're even more laborious to chew. Right. And then when I had that realization, I was like, man, you're making some interesting choices here lately. It's like, I'm exhausted. Oh, yeah. okay. That's, that's it. Maybe I need to prioritize a little bit more sleep when I can. Because yeah, you're still like, you have an obligation. There's a responsibility. Everyone's holding you accountable and you're holding your people accountable too. So yes, but we can still fit a salad in. Right, we can exactly. still make we can slightly better. Place. We, yeah. we can still make slightly better choices. Yeah. And, but, but I do feel we have as a population, as a human population, we have put such an emphasis on our efficiency and our ability to work and to strive for success that we are damaging our health because of that, because we continue to push and strive and chase. And it's like, at some point, you know, I I really, I look at life as a wavelength, you know, what goes up has to come down on a wavelength and they balance each other out before they come back to the midline. The higher you go, the harder you push, the more you work, the more stress you have, the lower that fallout is going to be. And then that fallout, you chase that fallout with more food that's easier to eat, hyperpalatable, drugs, alcohol, whatever feels good at the time. Get me back up. And it's interesting. I talked to, have you had Anna Lemke on? Uh-uh. Anna Lemke, uh, Stanford clinician, uh, psychiatrist. She wrote a fascinating book called Dopamine Nation. And oh, she- wow. She talks about all of this. She is amazing. I think Joe Rogan had her on recently, actually. Okay. So she is a great guest to have on all addiction, on food, on pain and pleasure, and kind of the connection between the two of those. But I really do believe that as people put themselves into you know, those states, and then all of a sudden, you're looking for that quick hit to get you out of it. God, I'm suffering right now. You're in this actual dopamine deficit where your body's not at homeostasis, it's searching for it. Yeah. And so we make poor choices to dig ourselves out of the hole. And, and for me, and, and, I've, and I experienced this um, with food, with drugs, with booze, with, with, and now I even get these weird residual experiences anytime I quit anything. So like if I got a photo shoot and I quit salt, it's as though, it's as though I have to tell myself, this isn't heroin. I'm not getting off heroin, anything. You know what I mean? Like my body starts to freak out. What are you withholding from us? And like, it's so weird, but like 
life becomes dreary. It becomes gray. There's a pallor over everything. And it's like, there's no joy. I can't experience happiness. And it's only the fact that I've given up stuff, experienced that and clung on for sheer life through that to the point where I go like, wait a second, did I just smile? Is life a little bit brighter? Is it going to be okay? You know what I mean? Like getting through those things where you go like, because I want the dopamine hit all the time. And now I'm just having dopamine to keep my eyes open. Right. That's all it's doing. And the minute I (laughs) give it up, the minute I give it up, it's like, you will never get dopamine again. All the natural ways you used to get it, they're gone. And you got to like, and you got to kind of confront that. Like, I'm not going to be happy for a minute, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's right. She describes it as a four week. Okay. For for a lot of people going on a dopamine fast or whatever, for lack of a better term, for it takes about a month for your body to reestablish its natural dopamine drip. Okay. Because we didn't, as humans, evolve to be around what we're around and have these intense spikes and lows and food around us. Like we didn't, we just, we worked. Basically, our reward system has been inverted yeah. to where we used to have to suffer on a daily basis, walking 10 miles a day to get a handful of berries and nuts and hopefully catch an animal. Right. That'd be fan- that would be fantastic to get that little reward. So we had to work an insane amount to get a very small reward. Now we don't have to work for a massive award or reward. So you get that dopamine dump. And so our world's been flipped on its head. And so to me, it makes sense that we continue as a population to get bigger and bigger and bigger. We have to fight that. We have to. We have to fight that. You have to fight that. As a a population, if we're going to exist, we have to fight that. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 to me, it's like anything else. If we, if we saw that, you know, car accidents were getting worse and worse and worse, we would go like, let's figure this out. They weren't so bad. Now they're getting worse. We should, we should figure out them not being so bad, right? Whatever, yes. whatever the metrics is, cancer is spiking a lot of more cancer. Well, what is it? Is it roundup? I don't know. I'm not saying that, but like, right. If that was the we case, would get to the root of the problem. We sure would. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this is so much different money, right? Because these, these companies that are producing, we have drugified food. Yeah. And so, and then we have drugified obesity too. So we both, both ends they're making money. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On, on the treatment of it and on the, I don't know. It's not the uh, prevention, the other, the cause of it. (laughs) There's a massive amount of money going around and we're a capitalist country. So that's, it doesn't seem like there's a great way for it to end. It it really doesn't because we had, there has to be, it seems to me some type of, and I don't know how you would do this in our, in the way that we're constructed. I have zero clue how this would happen is there would have to be some type of legislation to be put into place to make high calorie dense, low nutrient dense food, either wildly expensive like cigarettes are or impossible to get to. Right. And it's just cutting down the access to all that. Yeah. But like people will tell you food in it, then you know, this food in itself is not inherently fattening. Right. 
you know? No, <laughs> so, but I mean, it's so like, what do we it, do? it's like anything. It's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who can't use drugs and alcohol. And I'm a guy who also wants them not criminalized because I don't think that the criminal justice system is helping anybody who have problems with drugs and alcohol. So I, I go like, I, I don't actually have a solution. The only solution I have is discovering what I can do for myself to help myself and my fellows who are interested in help. That's, that's it. That's my solution. That's it. Well, and you're doing a good job. I mean, this is part of that, right? This is part of it. Talking about it, making it public is part of the solution. And I think it's probably the greatest thing that you and I can do. Yeah. Just continue, continue to normalize that kind of behavior. Yeah. That's, that's about all we can do. Yes, sir. Unless you want to run for uh city council or something like that. No, I have no interest yeah. in running for city Zero. council or Zero. any interest in like making laws about food. You know what I mean? Because right. I think that, I think there will be some major unintended consequences that we can't even consider. You know what I mean? Like always happens. It, it does. It always happens. That's, I mean, legalizing marijuana has basically led to the fentanyl crisis. Here we are. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, here we are. They, you know? they, yeah, the drug dealers are now competing with legalized marijuana and going like, <laughs> we got to give them something better. Let's yep. give them something that can kill 50% of the people who use it. Okay. Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Well, Nick, thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you. And I'd love to have you on my show. Anytime. Anytime. Oh, awesome. Right. Thank you. Talk Ethan. to you soon. Okay. Thanks, buddy. And now for the Q&A. Today's question comes from Gabe. Hi, Gabe. Gabe says, is there a limit to how much protein I should consume? I'm 6'4 and started at 409 pounds. I'm down to 366 pounds. That's awesome. He says, but if I figure 0.8 grams of protein per pound, that's a ton. 292 grams. At what point does my body start to metabolize fat? That's his question. At what point does his body start to metabolize fat? Yeah. Body starts to metabolize fat when his body's energy requirements are greater than the amount of energy he is consuming through food. I'm not sure I'm understanding the question right. Maybe it's two questions, right? Because he's asking about basically, you know, how much protein is too much, right? That's number one. And then maybe it is a second question. Um, So how much protein is too much? Uh, I eat almost as much protein as Gabe. Gabe, I eat almost as much protein as you. And and what is his weight now? 366 360 and I'm a solid 100 pounds lighter than you. I I try I don't I try to eat 1 gram for every pound of total weight. Um I I have a relatively low body fat percentage. So even if I adjusted and I was trying to eat just for lean tissue, it wouldn't be that huge of a difference. But so I'm eating around 260 grams of protein every day um, and have been for a long time. And and very rarely will I miss that. Um, I'm sure, you know, I don't know that anybody would enjoy 
getting the majority of their calories from protein. And I don't know that that would even be healthy. Like you need some fat, number one. And also like, I don't, I'm not aware of any uh, other than um, like 0% fat Greek yogurt and whey protein powder. Most of the protein that I eat has fat in it. So you're getting some extra energy from that. And then for, um, you know, another, as another source of energy, eating carbohydrates. So you have, uh, that kind of fast acting energy in your blood and muscles, you will start to consume fat. Your body will start to consume its stored fat when you are putting less energy into your body than it needs. So as that's the, that's the magic ratio. And I'm sure you could eat too much protein, but it doesn't sound to me like you're anywhere near eating too much protein. Okay, great. That well, that's, sense? is that how, yeah, I don't know. I think so. Gabe, let us know. Uh, and yeah, no, I mean that, that makes sense to me. I actually followed you. You know, not, not that anyone should think I don't understand you, but how, how about that? <laughs> Thank you for the question, Gabe. And for anyone else out there who has a question for Ethan, you can email it to us at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.